0: Morning, folk. It's good to see all of you here again this morning. And I trust that you've enjoyed fellowship. And this morning I was very surprised when I came into church to see Stephen, Jessica's husband. I first of all didn't recognize him. Can you believe it? But it's great to have you with us, Stephen. God bless you, man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. And when we come to your word, we realize and acknowledge our dependence upon you. It is your word, and we know that you want to speak to us, but we also know that without the endowing of the Holy Spirit, and the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and our minds, and our spirits, your word sometimes can just pass by without any effect in our lives. And so I pray that you would be with each one of us, and that we would be so aware of our dependence upon you, and that our desire would be to be all that your desires for our hearts, namely, that your name be glorified and uplifted, in Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to um, the book of Revelation. As you know, I had, a Revelation chapter 5, I had last week mentioned to you that this is the, uh, there's a, the, uh, the second part of, the, of, of a two-part series. Last week I spoke on the heart of God for the nations, and this week I want to speak to you about global missions and the importance of global missions. And I trust that you could see, as you had learned last week about what God's heart is for the nations, namely that He... His name must be uplifted and exalted and glorified. And that today, as we look at the very, very essence of the gospel, I want to pray that you uh, and ask that you would pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken in your heart this desire to be all that God wants you to be. In Revelation chapter 5, we read, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll, Or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Sent out into all the earth, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one at a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times, ten thousand times, they encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What a glorious, glorious passage of Scripture this is. What a glorious passage of Scripture. And yet God wants us to know that there are many times, my dear friends, when we go past, when we look past these passages, and sometimes they don't really have that intense meaning in our heart. When Paul declared, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. My dear friends, when he made that statement, it was such a dangerous statement to make in the times that he was living. When you read about uh, John uh, 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 writing this book of Revelation, he is a fugitive on an island, Patmos. Desolate place. Now we have the idea that he probably sat there uh, with something over his head, and the angel just spoke to him. And as a matter of fact, he was banished. He was viewed as a criminal. In one uh, chapter, one verse nine, we realize, see why because of his preaching of the gospel. And there, on, uh, I'm told, on, on, uh, as I did some research this week, that on the island of Patmos they were mined, so John had to go and work as well under very harsh conditions, very rocky area. He had to work, and there God spoke to him. He was experiencing persecution in his life. Before the sake of the gospel. We are very privileged, as we know, to be here this morning. To be part of a fellowship together here this morning in this country. God has graciously blessed us with it. And many other Christians throughout this country. But my dear friends, this morning I want to talk to you and say, we need to appreciate these times. We need to appreciate this gathering together. Now, I do not know if this is a true story or not, because I grew up with this story. So, you know, sometimes it's folklore. You don't know. Okay. But missionaries were viewed as second-grade pastors. Many, many years ago. I'm talking about, you know, in the millennium time. Many, many years ago. Um, When a guy became a missionary, it was normally said he couldn't make it in the ministry. So we banished him off to Patmos or something to that effect, you know. And then he becomes a missionary there. It's a very sad state of affairs because actually we know that missionaries are the cream of the crop. They are very, very dear people, who have a calling of God, who at many times have put their lives in danger. I remember we used to have these mission parcels, you know, the hand-me-downs that we bring to the church to give to missionaries. And this is where the story is that I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe somebody can confirm it after many years. Anyhow, there was a ladies group in this specific church that decided they also want to be part of giving to missions. And so they decided that every time they have a cup of tea, they'll only use the tea bag once and put it into a plastic bag and put it together so that eventually they collect enough tea bags to send to the missionaries in the field. With a lovely note, we hope you enjoy the tea. We've only used this tea bag once. The tea will still be strong enough. Enjoy it. Has anybody heard a story like that before? Well, that's what I grew up hearing, you know. And I don't know where I heard it. I've got an idea. We had one little missionary that came and spoke to us about it. If he was joking, I do not know. But actually, that tells us so much of what people think about missionaries. It tells us so much about how we view people who are putting their lives out uh, and, 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 uh, and open their lives for the, uh, for, for the sake of Christ, their lives to danger. So this morning, I just trust that, that this will not be our attitude. When, uh, when um, John wrote this letter, as I said, he had a high view of the sovereignty of God. And if we do not have a high view of, so- of the sovereignty of God, we will not be able to accept what comes our way. I want to make three things clear this morning. When I speak on global missions this morning, by no ways... Uh, in no ways am I demeaning local ministry and local missions. I believe that local ministry and local missions are important. We have a lot of hurting people in the local church. We have a lot of people who need counseling and time. We need a lot, have a lot of people who are grow, uh, need grow, to grow in the local ministry. And the same with local missions. We know that there are people, and I want you to make this distinction right here in the beginning. When we talk about unreached people, we talk about unreached people who will never, ever be in a situation to hear the gospel, to have a Bible. When we talk about local missions, we know that we have the privilege of reaching people who are unsaved in in the area or the community that we're working in. So there's a big difference between unreached and unsaved. The unreached will normally be people who grow up Year after year, with not hearing the gospel at all. Second thing I need to tell you is that global missions is very neglected in the modern church. And the third is that pastors and elders should unflinchingly cast the vision for global missions and faithfully, with the help of God, follow through with their commitment to see it come to fruition in their local situation. So I want to share four theological truths with you as we speak about local missions. The first is found in chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. The first Uh, truth theological truth about global missions is this that our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in the palm of his hand chapter 4 we uh, verse 11 we read you are worthy O Lord and 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 God to receive honor and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they were created And have their being. God is full of power and he has full say over creation. He answers to no one as he is supremely head of everything that he had created. The Bible says that all things were created by your will. God has power over nature. He spoke a word and it came into being. He created man from dust and we are answerable to him. He has full control over the destiny of the world. As the Apostle John was writing this, he found himself in a very difficult situation, a tiring situation of loneliness and rejection. Probably as he had this vision of God and in in, in heaven, my dear friends, he must have asked himself many questions. And yet, I believe that God was saying to him, John, I've allowed you to be on this island of Patmos for the sake of my name uh, to be glorified. For the sake that by my name, many people will come to me, to know me. Our being here is only because God has willed it that way. He looks, he holds the keys to the destiny of the things present and the things to come. The right hand of God, which means, uh, which means in, in, in symbolic language, it talks about God as the all-powerful, almighty, omnipotent God. In his right hand, he holds the scrum. I'm left-handed, by the way. So often we look up to people and we think that they have the power to rule, yet only to hear that it is God who allows them to rule. Rulers are allowed to rule only because God allows it. Do you believe that? Because that's what the scripture says. God allows people to rule. And sometimes rulers take, uh, uh, take chances and they think, well, they're so wonderful. God controls rulers, God controls governments. Those of you from South Africa know in 1994, what did we have? We had the most wonderful dream. Of a new beautiful South Africa. And we were all excited. The refrigerators were going to fall out of heaven. And everything was there. And the houses would be built. And all the promises that were made. For wealth and stability. And everything that was there. And my dear friends. Almost 20 years later. People are still disillusioned. Why? Because they thought. That if they place their trust in a man. Or in a power. Or a political situation. There's going to be a heaven on earth. God, my dear friends, controls everything. And unless we realize that this morning, that in the right hand, His right hand, He says, I am the sovereign God. I am the holy God. I am the God who controls your destiny. I am the God who has you in the midst, in the palm of my hand. My dear friends, unless we recognize that this morning, and we have a high view of His sovereignty, We will not have a desire for global missions. Tozer makes the following statement. We represent God as a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father, hurrying about seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. He further states that too many missionary appeals are based on this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for God has tried so hard and so long to save the world and has failed for, one, uh, for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service, this is what Tosa says, from no other higher motive than to help God deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of it. that's the view that many people have of God and when people come and and, 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 and appeal as missionaries as, uh, to, to the church there's a lot of guilt in people's hearts have you noticed it but my dear friends I'm standing here this morning not as a missionary I'm standing here this morning to tell you this that I do not serve God out of guilt And you do not serve God out of guilt. And we do not give to missions out of guilt because we give to missions and serve God for the glory and the honor of His sovereign name. Does that encourage you? You don't come and serve God out of guilt and think that you can appease Him by giving a hundred dirhams or whatever. That doesn't work. The reason why we are here, if you remember from last week, is for God's name. To be glorified and exalted. And that is why the premise from which we do missions is for God's name to be glorified. For God's name to exalt, be exalted. For us to recognize that He's the sovereign almighty God who holds the destiny of the world in His hand. And He's accountable to no one. If He pulls a plug, He pulls the plug. He's accountable to no one. And if we have that view of who God is in our lives, we will understand all the situations that we go through, all the difficulties, all the trials that we encounter, that God is sovereign and He's in control. If you have a high view of God, you will have peace in your heart. If you have a low view of God, your circumstances will become more important than anything else. And you'll always be angry at God. There are so many people who are angry at God this very moment. There are so many people who think God has dealt them an unfair blow. Well, I want to ask you this. Was it fair that Jesus would die on the cross for your master? Was that fair? forget that. Because from last week you learned, we deserve punishment. We deserve, my dear friends, every form of punishment and rejection, but for the grace of God and for the love of Him and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We sit here this morning and God declares us as righteous, righteous for the sake of Jesus. For the sake of His name. Now apart from Christ, secondly, apart from Christ, The state of man is hopeless before God. Verse 2, we read these words, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. The scrolls contain... The future of the world. The, uh, the, the, the scrolls contain the destiny of the world. God's plans for the world. And here we find that John is looking in this vision. And he sees this in this somber situation. No one is worthy to open the scroll. No one qualifies uh, to, uh, to open the scroll. And he looked all over and he couldn't find. In Romans 1.12 we see. Therefore just as sin entered into the world through one man. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men, because all have sinned. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, All of us also lived among them as one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. Romans 3:23: All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man is in a hopeless situation. We cannot save ourselves. Our eternal destiny, apart from Christ, He's living in eternal damnation. This is not a, popu- a popular theology or gospel for the hyped up type of theology we have today. Because somewhere down the line in theology, everybody's saying, well, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. You will be raptured out and there's going to be nothing. Don't worry. The church can do. And that's where the carnality is coming to the church. Because Somebody's hoping sometime or other that they're going to be raptured away suddenly. And they're going to miss all the persecution and all the trial that's going to take place. And that's where carnalism is coming. That's where there's no more holiness preaching. Have you When last have you really heard a holiness message? Because that's not popular gospel today. The popular gospel is do what you want, don't worry. And God's going to bless you, it's fine. There's no more being sanctified and set apart and knowing God. Am I right? We don't live like that anymore. Man has since the beginning trying to save himself and to seek his own purpose in life. The reality is that two, listen to this, two billion people out of 6,000 people's groups are unreached for the gospel. Does that do something in your spirit? Does that rock you? Does that rock your world this morning? Two billion people out of 6,000 people's groups are unreached. By unreached, as I said earlier, these people will never hear the gospel. They will not have the Bible. Do you know that in the northern part of Yemen, there are uh, uh, 800,000, eight, 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 8 million people? Do you know out of those 8 million people in the northern part of Yemen, how many are born again? 20 or 30. There are more than 30 Christians sitting here. But in two, uh, 8 million people in northern Yemen, there are 30 Christians. My dear friends, if we understand this morning where God has brought us from, remember from where God had ripped you and taken you and drawn you and brought you into a place of acceptance. Can you remember those times? Can you remember when you were low on the ground and everything was going wrong in your life and God came by His grace and His mercy and He picked you up and He said, I love you, I've saved you and you received Him and that, dear friends, has changed your life forever. Do you know there are two billion people that will not have that experience? It rocks my world, you know. God has changed Maria and I over the last months very much. We don't believe that we will be in the UAE probably for another longer than three years because God seems to be laying it on my heart that we will be moving into missions. There's this desire. For his name to be glorified, dear friend. There's this desire to be used of him. There's this desire in our hearts to say, God, how can we ever be part of a, of, of a glorious body of people when we know there's so many that haven't heard or will never hear the gospel? Two billion people. And you know the worst part about it is Those two billion people have no excuses. Romans 1 verse 18 says, What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking became futile, and in their foolish Hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like birds and animals and reptiles. There's no such thing as an innocent person. All are guilty, and their knowledge of God is only sufficient to damn them. That's how sad it is today. But I don't want to stay by the negative. I don't want to stay by the the side of of, of, uh, gloom and and, and somberness. I want to tell you, folk, there's hope. Hope is in the news that the slain Lamb of God reigns and is sovereign over all. That's our hope, that the slain Lamb of God is sovereign and reigns over all. Verse 5, we read, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open up, open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand, of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. He was promised centuries ago to the patriarchs of old, the line of the tribe of Judah, to whom shall be obedience, uh, the obedience of the people, Genesis 49 verse 10. He is the root of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And he will stand as a signal for his peoples. Isaiah 11. I will raise up, declares the sovereign Lord. For David a righteous branch. And he shall, uh, shall reign as king. Jeremiah chapter 23. Then Paul says, where O death is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the Lamb of God, John said, who takes away the sin of the world. Throughout history, people have come and gone. Some have been noble, some have been kind, some have been evil, some have been strong, some have been great, but all have fallen in sin. But the Lamb of God, who was slain, was standing in the midst of the thong, of, uh, uh, alive, and he was worthy. This passage of scripture, once again, opens to us the truth that Christ is divine. That he's holy and that he's sovereign. And he stands, my dear friends, as a lamb that was slain, standing, talking about his death and uh, talking about his resurrection. Wow. I get so excited when I think about that. You know, when I was younger, I used to sing that song, Give Me That Old Time Religion. You know that song? Sorry, young people. But I long for that old time religion back today. Because it was in that old time religion that people never got tired of hearing the gospel. They were tired of going to prayer meetings or home groups. Never got tired of spending time together with people of God. The churches were filled. Evenings was the evangelical service that took out. And every Sunday night, I used to see in that small town in Welcome, in the mining town that I grew up in, these hardened miners that would go down in the shafts and work, running up the aisle when, when, when Pastor Steve made his, his, his appeal, running up the aisle, saying, God, forgive me, crawling on their hands and knees, seeking forgiveness, because, my dear friends, they were confronted with a live lamb, Jesus Christ, living, alive, sovereign God over all. Jesus is alive. That is the hope for this world. That is the hope for where we go to. That is the hope for the two billion people. But Jesus is alive. Matthew 28, 19 is very real when we read a revelation. Because now we know that God says, going to all nations. Not the United Nations. It's all nations. gospel. Baptizing. Teaching them to observe all things and Lord be with you. My dear friends, there is God's pattern for us. There is only hope in Christ. But you think now I've got to an end? No. Huh? I'm just beginning. I'm sorry I'm getting it's coming to an end but I'm just beginning now. and I know that I, I quoted this passage last week but I just felt that you need to to hear it again this morning and be encouraged. The fourth theological truth is that Christ's redemptive work is graciously and globally and gloriously particular. You see, in Ephesians 1, we read these words. Praise be to the God and Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms, in every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace for which he has freely given us uh, in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that uh, that, um, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he had made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is a particular, particular redemption, my dear friends. It's glorious. We are so privileged this morning to know that this Almighty God, this all wise God, this all sovereign God, He knows about you. Said to me, Chris, but I've been praying, and it doesn't look like God knows about. You. He knows about you. He knows you. He has called you. He has loved you. The Bible says that even before, uh, before the world was put together. God had already called. I know that people say, oh, then why is it necessary for me then to make a commitment if God has called? My dear friends, I just want to tell you something. That when we know we are sinful, and we know that the only way we can receive true redemption, when God calls us, is to confess our sin and come to Jesus Christ, who's the only mediator. And that's why you find all the in him verses in Ephesians 1. Your redemption, your adoption, your calling, your election took place. In Christ. He is everything. That's why the Bible says. That on earth together under one head. Even Christ in him. We were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him. Who works out everything in conformity. With the purpose of his will. In order that we who were first. uh, To hope in Christ. Might be for the praise and for his glory. You are called, you are chosen, you are brought to God through Christ so that you can live to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. He loves you. These 6,000 people groups that still have not heard the gospel. My dear friends, we need to bring this message to them. We need to go to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, not because we feel guilty, but for His glory. And it's so wonderful. yet it is not just to certain people. It's to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. God has come and called people from all over. Just like in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you read of all the different nationalities and groupings of people in the Bible. And sometimes we, we get a bit we get a bit confused. Our tongues get twisted around Hittites and pericites and all these stuff th- that we think that's Hittites and pe- pesticides or something like that. But we get all confused about it. My, my dear friends. There are, are, are nations that, and groupings of people that God's grace has been poured upon. And he needs us to go with this particular particular, global, glorious message that Christ saves. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that very well-known passage says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to me by whom we must be saved. These were Peter and John's words when they were standing before the Sanhedrin. Those words ring true today in our age of unbelief and modernism. The standard of God has not changed. This particular salvation is found in Christ alone. People need the Lord and will only find him in Christ. Particular atonement drives global missions. In closing, I just want to share, make four, 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 uh, four remarks to help us. First of all, is we need to be led as people to pray confidently for the spread of the gospel of all The church needs to be there. Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. Then I will come. Prayer, my dear friends, is very important. And you know what? Our text confirms that because if you look at chapter 5, verse 8, you see each of the 24 elders were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Nothing can stop the wave of prayer and you measure them holding these, and your prayers are in those. Uh, John's, John was probably seeing this it is in, his, in his spirit. Now, he, his prayers were in these bowls, and they were an incense, a pleasant, a pleasant offering before God. And God comes and takes those incense, uh, those bowls of incense, and he sees the prayers of his saints. And now his saints, my dear friends, are those who are faithful, those who are faithfully serving, and those who have given their lives as well for the sake of the gospel. God is most pleased with intercessors pleading for the lost to be saved. Let us learn secondly to be sacrificial givers. I believe, dear friends, and please don't shoot me, but I believe that the largest portion of the church's budget should be devoted to global missions. Fortunately, in this country, we don't have the problem that we have in many countries. We'll have the biggest cathedrals and the biggest buildings and all these type of things that are built, and uh, we're having all these expenses to maintain. But I believe that church budgets should reflect the importance of our giving to global missions. But let us lead our people, thirdly, to become intentional in missions, in global missions. And you know, this church is arranged Short-term projects, mission outings. Take people away for a time. Bring people and expose them to people's groups and to cultures, different cultures. And we need to be intentional as a church in doing this. And we need to see that there are people in short-term, mid-term, and long-term global missions. You say to me, Chris, but you know, I'm just an engineer, or I'm just a panel beater, or I'm just a mechanic. Don't worry, so am I. But you know that you can go on long-term projects and you can do what you normally do here and you can share the gospel in a culture. I'll never forget when I was in Mozambique some years back. I was, I was asked to go and, and help rebuild some of the churches just when the communist side of Mozambique ended and the churches where those those years couldn't paint because they all belonged to the government. So uh, the churches were in and Rue uh wreck and Rune. so we we said okay what we'll do is we will go out now we've got permission to do and so we took trailer loads full of of, of building material and stuff and went into mozambique with a whole lot of medi- uh, medicines and i'll never forget i was i ended up at this little church and i had this group of people that were helping me and that, and i looked and i saw the excitement of these people's hearts but i also saw the lostness and during the day i would break with the building we'd share the gospel and one of the guys came to me, the, the, the elders that time, and he said to me, I just want to show you something. And with great pride, he showed me the little place that they built for the pastor, waiting for the pastor to come. The place was the size of a chicken run, Small little room, but they built that place waiting for the pastor to come. And I thought to myself, you know, that is why missionaries are so important. Because those who are gifted and, 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 and are sold out for God will live in that little place for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God. My dear friends, I just want to ask you this morning that you would pray, that you'd learn to give sacrificially, that you would be involved in becoming tension in global missions. But I also want to just end with this this morning. And this might sound bad, but I want you to know Every missionary who's working in Sudan, who's working in the Middle East right now, who's working in various parts of the world, is open to tremendous persecution. You just go into Baptist press and you read about the persecution that's going on, you'll be shocked. You'd say, we're living in the modern age, my dear friends. I want to tell you that we are not exempt from persecution. I want to read something to you, but I have the paper here. There was a Romanian. I downloaded this from the internet, but I know it's true, because I heard him preach. Uh, Romanian pastor, Joseph Tsong, rec- who cr- uh, 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 rec- recounted the time of being interrogated by six men. And he said to one of them, what is taking place here? This is Tsong is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between God and me. This is what the pastor said. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sirs, that you will do to me only what God wants you to do to me. And you will not go one inch further because you are only an instrument of my God. Every day I saw these six pompous men And as nothing more than my father's puppets. Then he goes on, he says, During an early interrogation, I told an officer who was threatening to kill me, Sir, let me explain. This is what Tyson said, said. Let me explain how I see it. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick pick it up and say, "Uh, uh, I better listen to what this man had preached. And then he goes on to recount that they let him go because they didn't want him to become a martyr. And he was free to preach in Romania. You see, my dear friends, there's going to come a time in our life where we will be faced with persecution. No doubt about it. And when you open your life to God, as John opened his life to Christ, and when you open your life to Him, He, my dear friends, there's no guarantee that you will not experience persecution. And your high view and my high view of the sovereignty of God will mean that we will be willing to die for the sake of Christ and for His work. May God bless you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you love those two billion people who haven't heard the gospel. This morning my prayers that you would raise up men and women right here in this this wonderful assembly. Place in their hearts a desire to be true, to follow you and to be obedient to your call. There might be some people sitting here this morning who for a long time have been resisting your call upon their lives. I pray Lord that they would open up their hearts this morning. And that they would receive your call and take it and go out and become the disciples that you've called them to be disciples of your word. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.